Hello and welcome to Beer and Money, a financial fireside chat for tech professionals. We work to simplify your finances so that you can enjoy your life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burkwell and Alex Collins. Hello everybody, welcome back to Beer and Money. My name is Ryan Burkwell and I'm your host. With me to my right is the co-host... Alex Squirrel Collins. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Love that movie. Hey, Ryan, how many ADD kids does it take to screw an iPhone? I don't know. Want to go ride bikes? That makes sense for you, definitely. <laughs> so, beer and money. Uh, for those of you who are return listeners, thanks again for returning and listening to Alex and I ramble about finances. Hopefully, it's bringing some value to you. Uh, for those of you who are new, uh, this podcast was, was really started from... Uh, we held a financial wellness seminar at a, at a tech company, and the the purpose of it was to invite people to come in in a relaxing atmosphere and just have a frank conversation around money. And so we bought beers and, and chatted about money, hence the name Beer and Money. We now do this quarterly uh, for this company. And so when we started to think about the podcast and the name of the podcast, well, we continue with that tradition, beer and money, and we want this to be just hopefully just a an open conversation. We want you to think uh, open-minded around things and, and hopefully take some information that you can take home to your personal finances and put them to use. And hopefully it's designed as a, a fireside chat. Hopefully you're uh, sitting next to a nice warm fire and enjoying a nice beer. Yes, and I imagine them sitting on a bear rug or maybe a polar bear rug. <laughs> So, so let, let, we could joke all day. Let, let's jump into it. In the last podcast, we talked, we spoke about long-term disability insurance. We did, and so we're going to continue with the theme around. We're going down the product zone here, and I know in, in our previous podcast, it's been high-level context philosophy. So now we're kind of getting the nitty-gritty around products. Please keep in mind when we're talking about these products, this is not about like you should do X versus Y. You should be looking at holistically and how it fits strategically in your plan, but you need to understand how these products work and why you would choose one over the other. And a basic understanding of how these things function will allow us to then build into the next conversations around strategy and how we use these. These are simply tools. Tools are not good or bad in and of themselves. It's all about how you use the tool. Absolutely. So let's, let's jump right in here. So life insurance, everyone's favorite topic. I'm sure you driving in the car right now are really excited about this, this podcast. So I want you to make sure you don't turn us off. We're going we're gonna <laughs> to be as funny as we possibly can talking about life insurance. So there are two forms that are typically um, talked about, and it's, it's forms in terms of one is called a term insurance policy, and one is called a permanent insurance policy. We're going to go into the details a little bit between those two, um, but let's start with the term insurance policy. Sure. Term insurance, it's named for the fact that it is good for a set time period or set term. That term can be anywhere from one year to 30 years. And sometimes it's, pardon me, eligible to be renewed on an ongoing basis after that expires. Sometimes that winds up being more, like you get a longer time period that it renews for. Other times it's just a one-year renewable term. 
it really just kind of depends. It is pure insurance. It is the least amount of cash flow, but oftentimes the most expensive form of owning life insurance. Yeah, so you bring up a good point there in terms of cash flow, where like a lot of people look at life insurance as a cost, and to some degree it can be. Um, you know, the, the term insurance specifically, it, it, it lasts a specific period of time typically. You know, a lot of people look at a 20-year time horizon or maybe a 30-year time horizon, and at the end of that time horizon, the policy uh, will either expire and you have to reapply or the rates will go up and go up dramatically, go up dramatically. Like the premium will go from, and I'm making up numbers here, but just to show the dramatic jump, the premium could go from $1,200 a year to $10,000 a year. Yeah. Essentially what's going on is the insurance company is assuming that you are not healthy. And therefore that's the reason why you're choosing to renew the term as opposed to going and reapplying. Now, in terms of the cash flow or the cost, the reason it is the least expensive or the least cash flow is that life insurance company is not on the hook for your entire life. They're only on the hook for that period of time. And so because of that, the cost is much less because they're not going to be on the hook. The the insurance company may not ever pay out on that policy. Um, I don't know the specific stats, but it's it, it is something like less than five or two percent out there. It's right around two percent. I've heard anywhere from one and a half to two percent of these of- policies ever pay out. Right. Yeah, and so uh, that's a huge piece. You know, it, and that's something to consider. Is just like your auto insurance policy, right? If you don't get in a car accident, that premium just really kind of went up. <laughs> the window no pun intended there (laughs) but they got the window because you didn't get an accident therefore you know nothing got paid back to you yeah it's an expense and all expenses have a negative 100 percent rate of return whereas permanent insurance is not just a pure expense there's there's an aspect there where there is an expectation that there will be dollars down the road and then we can get into a discussion and a conversation around whether that makes sense or not. It oftentimes depends on the unique situation. Yep. And and again, real quick, term versus permanent, this is not an argument which is better because it really depends on your personal financial situation. Cash flow being one of them. Absolutely. Right? If you don't have the cash flow for the other type of policy, then obviously that policy doesn't make sense for you to do. Uh, but the other piece is some of you may be thinking of, they've been thinking about life insurance. And what they should be considering is number one, what is the benefit amount that they should take? It's always where we start is where the, what's the proper amount of coverage to, to get. And obviously you need to look at how much you have in assets and all that kind of fun stuff. But in the end, what's really occurring, what is the purpose of life insurance? It's a financial vehicle, right? When someone passes away, like I'll take my personal example, my, my wife and I have kids. If something happens to me, I'm the one that's bringing the financial side of, of our family, bringing in the finances. So if something happens to me, the income is no longer coming in the door. So I've got to replace that income coming in the door for my wife. Now, I have other assets, and that's definitely something to bring into play. But oftentimes, people do what, what I call or what we call a needs analysis based on, and their questions like, well, how much do you want your wife to have to get by while she gets back on her feet. Do you want to send the kids to University of Washington or Arizona or Harvard? Right. 
how much in debt do you currently have? How much in assets do you do you have currently? Here is the magic number. And the magic number is how much of your income are you currently using and living on so that you can live the life you want now? Oh, by the way, when you also retire. Because some people will say, well, my wife will go get another job or my husband will go get another job. And that's 100% accurate. However, if you ask my wife right now, who hasn't been in the workforce for about five years now, is she going to get out? Is she going to go get a job making the same income first year? Crap, even the first five years of the income that's coming in the door now? Probably not. Maybe. I wouldn't say it's a high likelihood. And so that's just another piece to... to well, I don't know. Well, she I, I know your wife. She would. <laughs> I was waiting for the comment. To be fair, my <laughs> wife is much smarter than I, and she really should be the one talking. <laughs> but it's just there are so many things that knee-jerk reactions. I myself used to say it of I don't want to be worth more dead than alive. My wife will go back to work, and it's like, wait a minute. Well, actually, you can't be worth more dead than alive because the insurance companies won't allow that. Right. Otherwise, there'd be a lot of spouses sleeping with one eye open. <laughs> so, all right. So benefit amount first and then look at the policy type uh, and, and how it, it works into the strategic aspect of your cash flow and your, your financial plan. Yeah. Okay. So now that we've got those two handled and we've, um, we've discussed term insurance, let's, let's jump over to permanent insurance. Sure. Well, so in permanent insurance right now, there are two base types of policies. There is a universal life policy, which is built on a term chassis, meaning that it is essentially just a series of term insurance policies that are built together and structured so that they're going to be a permanent policy. And there is also whole life, which has a fixed structure for the entire length of the contract. Now, there's pros and cons to each one of these things. Universal life, the cost of the insurance is significantly less upfront and significantly more expensive on the back end. Universal life, there's so many different variations, index, variable, universal life, variable, universal life, consumption, right? There's so many different universal life policies out there. We're going to have a whole other podcast going into those details. Today's podcast is just high level, explaining the difference between a, a universal life versus a whole life, as well as, and this is the big difference, like if you research, if you go on Google right now and type permanent life insurance, the author could be writing about universal life, the author could be writing about whole life, and the author could be mixing the two, and it's very easy to get confused or talking about any of the specific variants thereof. So to your point in universal life that you're diving into, the, the structure is based on a term chassis, so the cost inside of the policy can change. No, not can, will. Fair. And it's based into the contract language, right? So the, the cost or the fees inside of the policy will change over time, which is why the policy can be more expensive as time goes on, it might be less expensive early on and get more expensive later on. Well, and the, the typical design and structure of these things is that <clears throat> you've got a certain death benefit and then a certain amount of cash value that builds up over time. 
And as the the cash value gets closer to the death benefit, the actual amount of insurance that you have shrinks. And so the concept is is that you've got inexpensive term insurance covering the vast majority of the death benefit early on. And as that gap between cash value and the death benefit shrinks, you've got less dollars that you're quote unquote insuring. And so even though the cost per dollar of coverage goes up, the overall cost is designed to stay similar. Yeah, and let's let's just, uh, so the cash value, you brought this up. So the universal and the whole life policy can be assets because what you're all, you're getting the insurance side of the, the benefit, the death benefit, as well as a secondary bucket of money inside of the policy where it's called, and it's called cash value. And these policies, uh, the cash value goes in after tax, right? You're paying after tax money. Correct. And it grows tax deferred. And with proper planning, you can get access to this money also tax free. Absolutely. And so that's why the permanent life insurance as an asset class can be very beneficial. Now, understanding the difference between a universal and a whole life and how that fits in your financial plan, that's the key. And that's where we see a lot of people. And it's very easy to get, it's very easy to get confused. Even people in our industry sometimes intermingle them just by mistake. Right. Well, and there's also a bunch of different variations and that they're all somewhat similar, but there's a lot of nuances between the different structures, let alone between the actual policies that are out there. It can be just a, a massive difference even between two policies that are the same structure, you know, current assumption universal life policy. So real quick review on the universal life policy. In terms of on the permanent life insurance structure, like cost perspective, it tends to be less costs or cash flow needed than, say, a, per, a whole life insurance policy. The structure in terms of the fees can change over time. Um, and so it's not locked in uh, for for the lifetime for that. So because of that, it, it does it can be variable with your cash flow uh, in terms of how much of, of an asset you actually get towards the end. Yeah, and one of the big benefits with a variable pol- with a universal policy, rather, uh, a universal life policy has a lot of benefits to it. There's a ton of flexibility, and that is both the the benefit and a drawback. The, the benefit is you've got the ability to shut off the premium payments and still have the insurance. Now, that's phenomenally useful. But again, what we talked about at the beginning of the discussion around universal life was that the cost of insurance is dependent upon what the death benefit is minus what the cash value is growing to. And so if you don't have the cash value grow as much, which not paying premiums will have the policy not grow as much, then there's going to be a higher internal cost. Conversely, whatever the assumptions are in the policy, whether it's current assumption, indexed, variable, whatever the methodology is, if those assumptions aren't met, you're going to have some issues. And it could be that like, you have much more growth of the cash value than you expected. I mean, that that's still an unexpected consequence, and it's going to create issues down the road. Now, most of them are likely going to be good issues, but still, uh, it's not going to, it's not going to perform the way that it was anticipated or expected to. So let's jump over to the whole life. 
policy now. So the whole life policy in terms of cash flow tends to be the higher cash flow type of policy needed to, to fund. And uh, there are several reasons for that. With the whole life policy, when you put the money into the policy, you get the death benefit, but the costs are fixed. Correct. So the costs of this policy do not change. And so because of that, that alone has from a cash flow perspective, there's more money going into the policy to essentially have that guarantee of the, the cost not changing. That's a huge component. And again, it goes back to, to some degree, if you're building this as an asset, you get what you pay for in terms of, you know, is this an asset that you really want to rely upon? That comes into the play. Now, we're not stating that whole life is better than universal. We're not stating that whole life or universal is better than term. It's just an understanding of why the prices are what they are. Yeah, exactly. Helping understand how exactly these these function so that you can then understand, okay, what is the proper way to fund these things? What is the proper use for each one of these types of policies? And, And why would you want to do X versus Y? And so just like the universal life, a whole life policy builds a secondary bucket of cash. It's called cash value. And when you're using a uh, uh, when you're using a mutual company, and the same thing is true in the universal life policy, as the insurance company does well, the insurance company can kick off a dividend to its policy owners that also goes into the policy. And so you get the, the cash value of the money that you put into the policy, and you can get a dividend from the insurance carrier. And it's growing tax deferred. And if done properly, you can get access to that money tax-free. There's also a varying amount of creditor protection here in the state of Washington. Cash value uh, has an unlimited amount of protection from creditors, which is a phenomenal benefit for for those folks that are here in Washington. And, And yeah, it really, like that dividend, there's a bunch of different things that you can do with it. You can have it paid to you in the form of cash. You can uh, have it build up the policy. You can have it buy more insurance. There's a, a bunch of different aspects that you can do uh, with that with that dividend. Uh, typically, that dividend comes from a couple different places. Uh, it comes from the the claims experience of the the carrier. So, how did they do? Did they you know have to pay out more death benefits than they anticipated? How are they doing in terms of managing the the costs of the company? Uh, they're, they're all the internal costs to running the insurance company. And then lastly, how did they do on their investment portfolio? You know, life insurance companies manage huge sums of money. Most of it is in extremely conservative, you know, high quality investment vehicles. But it really depends on what, what rate of return is generated on their investment portfolio. Yeah, so let's let's end on this last point around the, the life insurance aspect. So many people might be wondering, okay, uh, I, I get that the from a permanent life insurance structure, I'm building this extra asset, and you and I both know that oftentimes we'll go online and they're comparing this universal life or whole life or this permanent life insurance structure in terms of rate of return, they're comparing it to the market. They're market as in like the S&P 500 or whatever they're comparing it to, rate of return, right? Like sure. I could do more with my money if I put it somewhere else. Maybe. And, and the answer is maybe. And it depends on how you're, anal- how you're looking at your cash flow and what are you utilizing 
the asset for. It all goes back to strategy and making sure that you're comparing apples and apples as opposed to oranges and kumquats. Right. Like, A, I would make a strong argument that if you're comparing a permanent life insurance structure to an investment in the in the market structure, you're, you're comparing apples and oranges. It depends on what type of permanent policy, but there's almost certainly going to be some difference in amount of risk that you're taking. We also need to factor in all of the other costs and fees and things of that nature that go along with the two different strategies. And that's one of the things that we talk about quite a bit doing a macroeconomic comparative analysis. Well, that's what we go into talk about. Yeah. Alex just looked at me with like wide eyes, macroeconomic, like he just got really, really excited. (laughs) Um, but that, that's the aspect that we talk about looking at your cash flow, right? It's not just one or the other. It's okay. If I put money in the market, I'll eventually have to pay taxes on the growth. What's the risk of that money? What's the fees inside of that investment strategy? And am I putting all of my money there? Right? Do I need access for liquidity with, without having the ups and downs of the market? Right. So really looking at how you are looking financially, how you're looking from a cash flow perspective, and what is the strategy? Like you would never want to put all your eggs in one basket. You would never put all of your money in a permanent life insurance policy. You would never put uh, all yeah. of your money into a hedge fund. You would never put all of your money into Vanguard. But the analysis out there is, well, if we did all of my money into a permanent life insurance, or I do all my money into that, like that's not apples to apples comparison. Well, it's not necessarily real world. The, the, the most efficient way of creating fuel for our bodies is a balanced diet. Well, almost certainly the most efficient way of creating optimal finances is with balance. It's not one or the other. You can't just put money into permanent insurance. You can't just put money into the market. Whether that's the stock market, the bond market, the real estate market, you have to create balance. Okay, so we've had, a, a, again, we've had a, a decent conversation here on the permanent side, more than the term side, mainly because the intricacies of the permanent life insurance, not to overemphasize that permanent is better. Again, it goes back to cash flow and it goes back to your financial plan. And you should be working with someone that understands both of those to, to build into that financial strategy. So we hope today's conversation was valuable. In our next podcast, we're going to go into the the weeds a little bit around the universal, not a little bit, a lot of it, because Alex is going to be on the podcast. (laughs) So we're going to be talking about universal life and all the different variabilities uh, of that type of product that are out there. And today's podcast, we hope was valuable. The takeaway should be focus on benefit, then focus on type and look at it holistically from a comprehensive structure, not just siloed decisions. Well, there are no good products or bad products. It's all about how you're using it and what your strategy is. Exactly. Uh, As always, feel free to go to our site, beerandmoney.net. We've got a spot there for you to ask us any questions um, that you'd like us to talk about on the podcast. Um, if, If any of this information is coming to you and you're like, you know what? I wonder if Ryan Alex can possibly work with myself and my family. 
feel free to use that same message board and message us and uh, we can see if it makes sense to work with us. It may or may not. Uh, we can do a, a 30 minute uh, consultation just to look at how we work with our clients and does it make sense for you. Uh, if, and other than that, um, I think that's all we got for today. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Universal life insurance may lapse prematurely due to inadequate funding, low or no premium, increase in cost of insurance rates as the insured grows older, and a low interest crediting rate. This does not apply to universal life policies, which have a secondary guarantee. But if the secondary guarantee requirements are not met, the policy will most likely lapse. All whole life insurance policy guarantees are subject to the timely payment of all required premiums and the claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Policy loans and withdrawals affect the guarantees by reducing the policy's death benefit and cash values. Some whole life policies do not have cash values in the first two years of the policy and don't pay a dividend until the policy's third year. Talk to your financial representative and refer to your individual whole life policy illustration for more information. Dividends are not guaranteed. They are declared annually by Guardian's Board of Directors. Policy benefits are reduced by an outstanding loan or loan interest and or withdrawals. Dividends, if any, are affected by policy loans and loan interest. Withdrawals above the cost basis may result in taxable ordinary income. If the policy lapses or is surrendered, any outstanding loans considered gain in the policy may be subject to ordinary income taxes. If the policy is a modified endowment contract, loans are treated like withdrawals, but as gain first, subject to ordinary income taxes. If the policy owner is under 59 and a half, any taxable withdrawal may also be subject to a 10% federal tax penalty. State creditor protection for life insurance policies vary by state. Contact your state's insurance department or consult your legal advisor regarding your individual situation. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 3585 Maple Street, number 140, Ventura, California. 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Number 2019-90268, expiration 11-2021.